0: The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He, He then added, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We ask this time, Lord, you'd
1: speak to our hearts through your word, God, that you'd open up what the scriptures mean and help us, Lord, to understand your heart. Pray you'd speak, Lord, today. In your name, amen. All right, so let's go back to that, actually. It's kind of a funny, weird story. Um, I'm actually teaching through some stuff in John chapter 1 that I taught Way back when I started in junior high, i have been pulling out my old notes, going over them, throwing out a lot of stuff that was terrible, trying to put in some new stuff, um, just asking the Lord, you know, this is a book I've taught before, but um, what's a fresh word that you can give us today through John? Um, and I just love the Gospel of John. It's kind of like the Disciples' Handbook and um, the Disciples' Guidebook. If you're trying to follow Jesus, you can't go wrong with the Gospel of John, and um, I was reading through this story, and, you know, in in this chapter, you know, you've got John the Baptist, this amazing, crazy character out in the wilderness, locust and honey. You've got Peter. You've got James and John, all these great characters. And then you get to this little story about Philip and Nathaniel, and it's kind of a strange story. It's like, um, you know, Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, Hey, there's this guy named Jesus. He came from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, Nazareth? Can anything come out of that backwater town? And Philip says, "Eh, let's go see. So they go to Jesus, and uh, Jesus says, oh, here is Nathanael, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's like, how do you know me? And Jesus goes, I saw you sitting under a fig tree. That's kind of like, that's random. And then at that point, Nathanael falls on his knees, and he's like, Lord, you are God. You're the Son of God. I'll follow you forever. And it's just kind of like, It's very easy to read over this and just go, all right, weird story. Um, But I think if we get into it, we can see a couple of things. I want to first kind of go through the progression of what happened. The first thing to notice is Nathaniel's reaction. Okay, you've got this guy named Nathaniel, and he is an Israelite. He's a scholar. He's a faithful follower of God. And his friend Philip shows up at his door. Just imagine, you know, your friend opens the door and he goes, there's this guy. He's amazing. He's like everything we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the king, like he's the one. And, you know, Nathaniel is kind of thinking like, all right, this sounds good. And then Philip says he's from Nazareth. And I don't know why Nathaniel was racist of people in Nazareth, but he totally was. He was like prejudiced towards them. He hears Nazareth and he's like, oh, that town? (laughs) Like, has anything good ever come out of that town? It kind of makes me think of, um, would anyone here think of themselves as like a food snob? Anybody? You want to admit to that? I can be that way. Like, when I was younger, I remember there was a simpler time, you know? When I was in youth ministry here, my youth pastors would take me to Jack in the Box like every day. Now when we take kids out to lunch, it's like, oh, Little Caesars, that's gross. Let's go get sushi. Let's go get, like, Chipotle. Like, it's, you know, like, It has to be better food, better quality, fresh, organic, all that stuff. And it kind of makes me think of nowadays, I remember um, I used to eat a lot at Carl's Jr., but now if someone brought up Carl's Jr., I'd be like, Carl's Jr., can anything good from from Carl's Jr.? Can anything good come from that place? And then let's look at the evidence. Can anything good from Carl's Jr.? This is called the Most American Thick Burger, which is this giant... Oh, they didn't even try to make that cheese look appealing. It's like straight like Kraft singlets and then like hot dogs on a burger. I'm sorry, but the answer is to me, nothing good can come from Carl's Jr. So anyway, that's what's going on. He shows up. Can anything good from come Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. So then they show up and he walks up to Jesus and Jesus knows something about him. He looks at him and he goes, let's read it. Um, It's verse 47. Then Jesus sees Nathanael approaching. He says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. In verse 48, Nathanael says, how do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declares, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, if... You were introduced to some stranger you've never met. And they were like, you know, oh, yeah, you're that guy who's, like, really into football. You'd be like, whoa, how do you know me? And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw you when you're sitting under that tree. It sounds almost kind of stalkerish, like, just a little strange, like, like what's going on? Like, is Jesus, like, in the bushes with binoculars, like, sp- He's like scouting out his like future disciples, his recruits, and he's been watching them for weeks, like learning things about them. That's not what's going on. See, here's what's significant about this. This is like, because if, if that was the case, why would Nathaniel like drop on his knees and be like, "You're you are God"? I would be like, "You're strange. Why are you watching me sitting under trees? I'm leaving." What's actually going on is you got to put yourself—I talked to my dad about this, and I was like, what is this all about? Like, this is strange. And we were talking about it, and my dad was explaining to me that um, when Nathaniel was sitting underneath that tree, he's praying. Like, he's having a holy moment with God. This is a guy, like Jesus said, a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. So Nathaniel is a guy who loves God, walks with God. Um, Now if you go back to the beginning of the chapter you notice that when Philip shows up He's like here's the one we've been waiting for the Messiah So Nathaniel is somebody who is a true Israelite. He's been waiting for the Messiah. He's been praying So this is a guy who follows God This is a guy who loves God who's been reading the Old Testament looking forward to God's promises And when Nathaniel was sitting underneath that fig tree what many Bible scholars and commentators believe was he was having his Personal time with God. He was sitting underneath this tree and he was isolated Have you guys ever gone off by yourself to do devotions and you find like a super isolated spot where there's no one around? Sometimes I'll go up to Bringle Terrace or sometimes I'll go in my backyard and um, there's like a field in my backyard and I'll go kind of hide behind this like willow tree and I'll grab a chair and a little table and a Bible and I just, I know that there's no one around. Like I know that no one that I know is going to show up and like look at me through binoculars. So at that time, Nathaniel's sitting there. He's just chilling with God. He's completely by himself. So for Jesus to say, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathanael realizes, when I was under the fig tree, I was praying, I was just with me and God, I was praying and I was talking to God about my country, Israel, and I was talking about God's plan, and and this guy shows up and says, I know you, I know your heart for God, I know your heart for Israel, and I saw you sitting underneath the tree. Nathanael realizes, this guy has to be God, because I looked and there was no one around me. Like, I'm in a complete other town, and this Jesus guy shows up and he's, he knows all these things about me. And so it's this, it's this moment where Nathaniel realizes this is God speaking through this man. This is the son of God. And it's this great moment where Nathaniel realizes that Jesus knows him. And that's the whole point of this study. The whole point of the study today is realizing that God knows you and God desires to be known. God knows everything about you. He, he, he sees you all the time. He sees us when we do good, and he sees us when we sin. And he still loves us. He knows everything about you. If Jesus were to walk up to you today, he would be like, oh, yeah, you're the guy who's really into this. And you'd be like, I did, people didn't even know I like that. Like, that's my secret hobby. I'm building robots in my basement. There's actually one kid who comes here who builds robots. He's not here today, but he's amazing. Jesus would know everything about you, and he'd be able to just tell right away what was going on in your heart. I think sometimes we can think of God as a distant and absent God. We can think of God as kind of like this God up in the sky who doesn't really know much about us because he's so busy running the world. He's dealing with wars and famine and poverty and just all this stuff throughout the world. And we can think, you know, God doesn't really care that much about what goes on in my life. Um, in Oklahoma City, there was a 28-year-old woman named Haley Don Hampton. And on Mother's Day, She decided to cut loose from the responsibilities of raising her daughter um, by going to a bar called Lumpy's. It's a great name for a bar. It's like, wow, Lumpy's. It's like, that sounds like a great place to have fun. So she goes to Lumpy's and she knocks back a few beers and. Rather than getting a babysitter for her four-year-old son, or leaving the kid with the dad, she just left the young one buckled up in the back seat of her Nissan Xterra in the Lumpy's parking lot. The police responded to a call of an unintended child at about 12.20 a.m., about an hour after Hampton's reportedly arrived at Lumpy's. Even though Hampton claims that she had her boyfriend, which is not the kid's father, stand in the parking lot and watch the car for a few minutes, police still went ahead and arrested her on charges of child neglect. I'm glad my mom didn't drive to a bar on Mother's Day and leave me in a car for four hours. That would be really sad. If that's your story, I'm sorry, and we can talk about it afterwards. Um, But listen, God is present. Like, God's not the abandoning, like, mother or father figure in our lives. Like, God didn't create us and go, see ya, you're on your own. God actually has been present for every moment of our life. Think about it today. I know you guys are here today, and I know you're struggling through stuff. You're human you've got problems, you've got issues just like me, I know that you have struggles. God knows exactly what those struggles are. If you've come here today and you've been worried about things, you've been depressed about things, you've been angry about things, God knows exactly what's going on in your heart right now at this moment. He knows every struggle, trial, pain, joy, success, and failure, and he loves you, and he wants you to know that he is there for you. Other times, we can think of God as an angry perfectionist. Would anyone admit to thinking that? Like, I have. Like, thinking, maybe not. But for me, like, growing up, like, I thought God would just, he was just this cosmic cop who was out to ruin my fun. And he was always, like, waiting for me to sin and just, like, ready to punish me and ready to destroy me for my sin. I was always afraid of God and worried about what he was going to do. That's not who God is. I want to show you guys um, just a picture. This is, get ready. This is a crazy story, okay? Um so that guy right there, that is Kim Jong-Un, who is the director of North Korea. Anyone heard of him? Anyone read about this guy? A little unstable. A little bit of a strange, strange guy, strange leader. Um, on the right, the guy with the circle, that is the Korean defense minister. He's not a defense pastor. Minister means like he's the guy who administers defense to the country. He's in charge for protecting the country and setting up all these things. Well, at one point, the leader of the country, Kim had a meeting, and this guy fell asleep in that meeting. So, the way the leader of the country dealt with it, instead of, you know, telling him, you know, hey, you're on probation, or hey, you need to pay attention, or you're fired, he gathered a large audience and shot him to death with an anti-aircraft gun. Now, if you don't know what an anti-aircraft gun is, that is an anti-aircraft gun. He gathered a large audience and destroyed this guy in front of them to make an example of him. Crazy stuff. Now, we can think of God that way. And really, to be honest, God would have every right to be that kind of God. Like, he created us, and he gave us an option of following him and loving him, and we rejected him, we hated him. When we sin, it's like a slap in the face to God. Uh, even more so, I've thought of this before, when we, when we as Christians sin, knowingly, especially when it's like, I'm sinning, but I know that God will forgive me. That's like a slap in the face to Christ on the cross. It's like looking at him while he's hanging there for a sins and just smacking him. We've all done that. We have all sinned knowing we were sinning, knowing it was wrong, and knowing that Christ would forgive us. God had every right to destroy us. When he was on the cross, if I was on the cross, if I was God, I would have just started shooting down lightning bolts and fireballs on people. But what did Christ do? Jesus hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the kind of ruler God is. That's his heart. God's not waiting for you to make the slightest mistake and then getting ready to crush you. In Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is so patient. You need to know that today. God loves you, and he is patient with you. He will put up with you. It's amazing. Like, for me, going through youth ministry, junior high ministry with many of you, uh, taught me a lot about patience. You guys sometimes are crazy now, but you were absolute psychopaths in sixth grade. Like, there were times where I was like, Lord, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, You guys were crazy. But the Lord taught me patience. Um, and patience is hard. I remember Jason Duff telling me one time when he was working in children's ministry, there was this one little kid who was just driving him crazy, and he was telling him, you know, you've got you've to do better. You've got to try harder. Like, come on, kid. Like, you got to get your act together. It's this little elementary school student. And the kid, like, snorts up and hawks a loogie and spits it right in Jason's face. And at that point, he was, like, ready to smack this kid and get sued by his parents. Um, it's crazy to me that God hasn't done that to me. Like, the amount of times that I have sinned against God, the amount of times that I've made mistakes, the fact that God just hasn't completely obliterated me, or even, have any of you guys ever been driving and you've had close calls where you almost got hit by a car? It's like, the fact that God hasn't, like, not prevented me from doing that, like, there's been so many times where, like, I, I missed it by that much and I almost got hit by a car, and the fact that God wasn't just like, eh, I'll let it slide this time, he's kind of a punk, let's have him come to heaven where he can't cause any more trouble, the fact that God has allowed me to continue to live the sinner that I am, the fact that God has allowed you to continue living and surviving, and not only that, but that he's blessing you and guiding you, it, it's, a, it's an amazing. God is patient towards us. He is kind. God knows you, and he wants you to know him. Now, really quick, just so you know, um, just I want to throw this out there just so you know. Um, the church time got moved. So we start later now and we end later. So we started at 11 today and we'll end at 12.30. Just so you're not looking at the clock and going, it's 12.15, what's going on? Uh, This is getting crazy. Like, don't freak out. We end later now. So anyway, those of you guys who show up late all the time, you didn't even realize it was happening. So anyway, (laughs) that laugh totally validated that that was true. Um, Listen, God knows you and he wants you to know him. God knows you, and he wants to be known by you, just like you. Remember that girl you had a crush on in school, and you, you knew her. You knew everything about her because you watched her every day, and you learned things about her, and, but she doesn't know you. <laughs> she has no idea you exist. Um, God knows so much about you, and he wants you to know him. There's a great preacher named Charles Spurgeon who says, you will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. It's like, oh, what's a, man, okay, here's an illustration we used before, but it's a, it's a good one. We use this at family camp. Actually, I love this illustration. Think of it this way, okay? Let's imagine that um, the world's, well, okay, let's do a little contest first, a little poll. Um, cake or pie? Raise your hand for pie, anybody? Raise your hand for cake. Oh, a little even. I was hoping for cake to win. Okay. Anyway, let's just say that across the board, our favorite food was cake. Like just everyone agreed, like cake is, it's not sushi, it's not tacos, it's not burritos, it's cake. That's what everybody wants at all times, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let's imagine that um, we loved cake. Cake was, as a nation, as a society, cake was our favorite. But let's imagine that we had never truly experienced a full cake, and instead all we had ever had was tiny crumbs with little dabs of frosting. And that's what we thought cake was. It's just like, dude, are you going to go get cake today? And there's all these different flavors of crumbs, you know? You've got red velvet cake crumb, carrot cake crumb, coffee cake crumb. And it's just, it's just these tiny little crumbs, but we thought it was amazing. It's like, yes, like, this is great. And then one day we show up to like, this baker shop, and he pulls out a whole cake, and we're like, what is that? Like, is that, is that a cake? Like, what? And all we've ever had is these tiny crumbs, and then we eat the cake, and it's like, ah, like sensory overload. Like, I don't understand what's happening. This is the greatest thing I've ever had. That's what God's, that's what God's love is like. Like, we have only truly on earth experienced tiny little crumbs of love, and one day when we see Jesus, we're gonna experience the full thing, and it is gonna blow our stinking minds. For us, we're never going to know that fullness until we realize that all we have is cake crumbs. All the things in our life that we think are great and fulfilling, we think that those things bring fullness to our life, but really they're empty. Really they give us nothing. Until We won't really know Christ until we realize how empty everything else is, and then we'll see how full he is in our life. Now, before we get into another section of this to talk about, I want to explain just a really simple concept to you guys. This is something that's been blessing me. I'm working on my prayer life right now. That's something that I think needs work. Um, just if I'm honest with myself, I need to pray more. Um, we talked about it at Home Fellowship, but, um, you know, there was this guy. I won't go into the letter, but there's this, there's this letter that a guy wrote about how— um, His flight seat was terrible, you know? And basically, the idea of the letter was just change my seat, change my seat. He wrote it to the airline, but the whole letter was like, this seat's terrible, it's horrible, like it smells, like people are in my face. It's like this long, long letter, but in the end, he just makes a request, you know, get rid of the seat. Well, for us, a lot of times our prayer life is just, Lord, help me with this. Thank you. Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you. Lord, I need help. All right. And that's just it. We just throw out these little prayers. Lord, I need help with this. Lord, solve my problem. And what God is looking for is a conversation. He's looking for a relationship. He's looking for us to talk to him and sometimes even be frustrated and pour out our heart and give praise and thank him for things. And just he's looking for that. He's looking for a relationship. There's this great hymn that got turned into a song by one of my favorite pastors uh, and worship leaders, Josh White. Um, And he writes, um, he adapts it from an old hymn, but it goes, All those who seek the throne of grace... Find that throne in every place. If we live a life of prayer, our God is present everywhere. And I just love that. I remember I, I drove uh, to a field one time, and I was, just, I was just listening to my iPod, and this song came on. It was just singing about um, just how our God is present. And he sings this verse, and then it goes to the chorus, and it's just, our God is present, our God is present, our God is present everywhere. And I was sitting in this field of wheat, just like in my car, and I just it just hit me. God is here with me. Like, it's not, I go to church, and then God is there, and then I leave. No, God is with me everywhere that I go. And he's constantly asking me, be with me, commune with me. We think of communion just as taking the cup and the bread. And, and even in churchianity, like for us, like we grew up in the church. Who grew up in the church? Anybody? Like me? Yeah, so for us, communion is just, oh, juice and cracker time. Sweet, communion. Oh, that's what we do to remember the Lord. Oh, I'm remembering him for a minute. Oh, cool. Worship is just, oh, sing a long time. I like these words. Or like if our favorite song comes on, before it was Oceans, now it's Good, Good Father. Um, You know, our favorite song comes on, it's just like, yes, I love this song. This song lights up all my pleasure sensory zones in my brain, it makes me happy. But are we truly worshiping? Are we truly connecting with the Father? Are we truly praying the words that we're singing in our heart? God just has opened my eyes up lately. Like if I want to have a relationship with him, if I want to know him and be known by him, Praying is the key. And it needs to be more than just, Lord, I need help with this. It needs to be, man, God, here's what's going on in my day. Like, man, this is crazy, and this guy said this thing to me. and Oh, and Lord, this happened. Thank you for that. I just love you so much. And, man, God, I really need help with this. Or have you guys, have you guys ever tried praying through the scriptures? Like, not just reading your Bible. That's what I used to do when I was a kid. I'd just read my Bible, and i go, okay, read the chapter, sweet, and I'd leave. The Bible is meant to be a conversation. What I'm trying to do now, like, and again, I'm not a pro at this. I'm just trying to explain where God's taking me and inviting you to come along in the journey. For me, what I'm doing right now is I'm reading through 2 Peter um, in my devotions. And what I'll do is I'll just have a little piece of paper next to me. I'll read through it. And as I read, anything that just grabs my heart, I'll jot down. Even if I'm completely just writing what the verse already says, I'll jot it down or I'll underline it. And then after I'm done reading the chapter, I'll look at what I wrote down, the things that just jumped out to me, that I felt God was speaking to me, and I'll pray through it. I'm like, man, Lord, in verse 3, that thing that you're saying, that convicts me. Like, I'm looking at that, and that's me, God. I mess up. I sin in that way. God, I need your help. Or I'll read a verse, and it's something that excites me, like about preaching the gospel or reaching people, and I'll be like, man, God, I need to do that more. Help me to do that. Or sometimes I'll read a verse and I'm just like, it's just about how great God is and I'll write it down and then I'll pray and I'm like, God, you are great. Thank you so much. And it's just, it is so much more fulfilling than just, uh, let's see, one chapter. uh, Yeah, mom, I did my devos. Yeah, I did my devos, mom. I've been guilty of that, just doing devotions because it's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And God invites us to enter into something more. He wants a relationship. Now for the second part of this, talking about knowing God I just wanna talk really quick about this idea of what it means to be a Christian atheist. And that might sound like a weird term. Here's, here's, here's some background on it. In America, three out of four people believe in God. Seven out of 10 people believe even that Jesus is the son of God. But my question is, and you guys can probably answer this no, are that many people really living lives following Christ? Like in our country, in our world, If it's 7 out of 10 that believe Jesus is the Son of God, do we see 7 out of 10 people? Think about your schools. Do 75% of your school or your students in school, do they follow Christ? The answer would be no. A Christian atheist is just kind of this made-up term that means somebody who believes in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. Do you know someone like that? I knew people like that, plenty of people. I remember going to school here at Calvary when I was a kid. And my classmates, they all went to Bible class. They all went to camps. They believed in God. But then, uh, you know, we'd hang out, and I remember I was the pastor's kid, so they, they had code words to get around me. Um, one was like, hey, do you guys want to go sit on the rocks? I'd be like, no, that's lame. And they'd all leave to go sit on the rocks. What that meant is, um, even though we're in high school and we're underage, let's go smoke and drink is what they do. Um, I remember several people I went to school with who said they believed in God, but then never really spent time with him, and they'd be sleeping around with their boyfriends and girlfriends and just stuff like that, doing drugs. and um, That's somebody who believes in God. like They have a general idea that God exists, but they don't really live as if they believe it. Uh, In Titus 1, Paul writes to his young disciple, this guy he's been discipling, this guy he's been raising up to pastor a church. um, It's this guy named Titus, and he writes in his letter to him. He says, Titus, there are many people who are rebellious, full of meaningless talk and deception. Have you guys ever met anybody who's just full of talk, but they never really lived up to it? I remember there's this one guy uh, in school who he th- said he was a ladies' man, and he's like, Aaron, like, let me tell you how to get all the ladies. <laughs> and he would like lick his fingers and like slick his eyebrows back, and he's like, this is the way to get the ladies. <laughs> I was like, you're weird. He never got any ladies. Um, and he got his nipple bit off one time. Um, Super weird, it was like it was a football thing in the bathroom, one guy, they got in a fight and bit it right off. Anyway, um, <laughs> poor guy. Um, <laughs> so, um, in uh, Titus 1.16, oh, I forgot to put that verse up. In Titus 1.16 it says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Read that again, or listen to that again. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So it's talking about people who claim to know God. Do you know God? Yeah, I know him. Yeah, I know God. I know God. I I believe in him. But they don't really act as if they know him. It says they're disobedient, detestable, and they're unfit for doing anything good, really. It's easy to believe in God. It's easy to believe in God. It's easy to just go, yeah, I'm an American. I'm in a Christian family. Like, I believe in God. Like, that's what I'm supposed to say. It's easy to believe in him but not truly know him. I'll give you guys an example. Um, I heard for months about Jake, okay? Raise your hand, Jake. I heard about him. I believed in Jake. Like people were like, "You gotta meet Jake. He's a guy." I wasn't like, "No way. I'm not gonna believe Jake exists until I see him with my hands and stick my fingers in the holes in his hands." Or like, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say that. Like, I, I believed he existed. I was like, "Yeah, I believe in Jake. I believe he's a guy." But I didn't. I didn't know him. And then I met him, and I was like, "Oh, Jake's rad." And I don't know him well, but I've spent a few days with him, and he's a rad guy. So now I believe in him, and I actually do kind of know him so far. Um, same thing with my wife. Now, no one had told me about my wife, Brooklyn. I had no idea she existed. Like, did not know she was even alive. But I did know that a future wife possibly existed. I desperately held on to that hope that there's got to be somebody out there for me. There has to be. Um, Sometimes my hope in that dwindled, and I thought I would live in a cave forever by myself. Um, (laughs) Because that's what happens to single people. They move to caves. Um, (laughs) I guess. But anyway, so I knew she existed. She was out there somewhere, but I didn't know her. I had never met her. And I remember when I met her, it was like, oh, I want to know her, like instantaneously. When I met her, I was like, that's somebody who I definitely want to get to know a little bit better. We were in England. I was playing the piano. I was super shy. I had long hair, covered up my face with it. You know, I looked like a freak. I looked like Chewbacca, you know, from Star Wars. And she came up to me, and she introduced herself. She was totally the one who, like, totally made the first move. And um, I remember we hung out, and we went on a couple walks, and I was, like, teaching her how to play the piano. And I was like, I'm teaching a cute girl how to play the piano. This is pretty rad. Just, you know, it was super rad. And um, as I... As weeks went on, like week three, <laughs> week three, I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl. Like, she's amazing. And, um, you know, she didn't know. It probably would have freaked her out if I told her, guys, don't, don't ever tell that to a girl. It will freak her out. There's a girl I know, a friend of mine. Um, her friend was a – or her, this guy was a Bible college guy, and he shows up, first date, says, I think the Lord has told me you are going to be my wife. Never went on a date again with her. <laughs> I don't know if that guy ever went on a date with anybody after that, but – Um, so don't do that, just a little tip, but anyway, I I got to the point where I was like, I really want to know Brooklyn, and I know her now, we've been married five years, I absolutely know her very well, I know her voice, I can pick up her voice anywhere, like, even if she's, like, doing a weird accent, or, like, like, I, I would just know, like, over a phone, over a weird, like, cruddy walkie-talkie, like, I would just know, because I know the sound of my wife's voice. I know her favorite perfume. I know all her smells, all her perfumes. Like, she's spraying them through the house, and Um, she can be walking by, and I just, I know that smell, I know her favorite colors, I know her favorite food orders, I've got them memorized, you know, uh, because I've done them so many times when I go to In-N-Out, you know, it's like number two, spread only, and a drink, like I just, I know, I haven't memorized, I've got her Chipotle order down, her uh, Panda Express, like all of our like little like fast food places, and then we go out to eat at a restaurant, like I know, she's gonna probably get something with chicken, you know, and, (laughs) you know, just that type of thing, so I, I know her very well, I also know what she doesn't like, I know that I should not leave cabinets open, and I know that if I'm home alone, and even if she's, like, in another state, Oklahoma, if I have a cabinet open, she'll call me and be like, you have a cabinet open, No, no, I'm just kidding, she's, she's never done that, that would be strange, um, but after 5 years I know her so well and you know what I still have so much to learn. I'm still wanting to get to know her. I'm not like if she came to me she's like can I tell you something? I'm like no, I've heard it all. I know everything about it. you can never tell me anything again. No, I'm like yes, please. Tell me something new. Like tell me something I don't know about you, about your family, about your life, memories from the past. I'm constantly wanting to learn and know more about him. Now God is a God who knows us and he wants us to continue to know him. I don't know about you but just growing up in the church like, I got to a point where seriously, I would like show it to Bible studies. I was a pastor's kid, you know. I'm like probably in seventh grade at this point. I show it to Bible studies, and the pastors start teaching, and I'm like, oh. I know that one. (laughs) I've heard that. Like, please, something new. Oh, wait, there's nothing new because I know it all. I'm the pastor's son. I've heard every Bible study. What's this, a study on David and Goliath? Oh, what's the application going to be? Like, we've got to face our giants or something like that? Like, it's just, you know, I figured that I knew it all and that there was nothing anyone can teach me. And I remember the Lord just changed my heart at one point. And now I show up to every Bible study, usually with pen and paper in hand going, Lord, what can you teach me? Whether the pastor has been teaching for 50 years or whether the guy teaching is fresh out of Bible college and he's never taught a Bible study in his life, I realized that God is constantly trying to show me new things about him. And he speaks through his word and he speaks through other people. I was just talking to a high school student who's like, you know, man, I just don't learn anything from church. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When you show up here, are you just like hoping I'll tell jokes and you're like waiting until the next point where you can laugh? Or are you coming here going, God, what do you have to show me today? Open up my heart and my ears to whatever I can learn about you. I just want something more. When you guys are, when you fall in love with somebody and you guys have all been in love, you know, puppy love, or maybe you've even dated, and it's just like when when there's that girl or that guy who's just on your heart, you want to know everything about them. And you just, you cherish every conversation. And then you go home and you analyze that conversation like, she said this and I said this and, oh, what did that mean? Like, when she said that word, she said it with a tone, like, does that mean she likes likes me or she doesn't you're you're calling all your friends like what does this mean do we do that with the Lord you know are we like going home after church and like calling our friends and going like when we read that verse like what did that mean that was so cool I met a girl like that I met her at family camp she had just gotten saved um, for really for the first time and she was coming up to me every day going what does this verse mean like what is this like God loves me for real that's crazy oh my goodness like I love this Guys, don't lose that love. If you don't have that love for God's word and his heart and what he'd say for you, ask for it. Say, God, I've got a hard heart. Just admit it. We all get hard hearts. Seriously, I get a hard heart often because I grew up in the church. You need to be asking God constantly for a fresh heart. Say, God, give me a heart like baby skin, not like a hard calloused heart, but God, just make it fresh where I just want to eat up your word and just ask you, what do you have for me? Open up your heart. Now, just really quickly, we're going to look at three categories of knowing God, and you'll all be one of these. You're going to fit into one of these categories. The goal is to get to the third one. That's where we want to be. But just starting out, the first one is some people believe in God, but they don't actually know him. Like I said, 94% of people in our country believe in God, but they don't really have a relationship with him. Maybe someone here is is in that spot maybe you're here today and you know about god you believe in god you're like yeah there's a god but you don't know jesus the bible says even the the demons believe in god so believing in god isn't the answer it's not just like oh yeah believe in god and you're fine golden ticket out of heaven like you're great the demons believe in god and they're not going to heaven culturally, being a Christian, that's what it can be a lot of times. It's like, oh, yeah, just, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church because my mom and dad make me go to church, and my mom and dad are Christians. I'm totally a Christian because I'm not a Muslim. Like, I'm not, like, a part of ISIS, so I'm totally a Christian. Um, I knew people like this all the time in Oklahoma. My wife can tell you Oklahoma is one of the hardest places to be an actual real Christian because everybody goes to church. Like, seriously, Sunday morning, everyone is all about going to church, and then they just go home, and they do their own thing, and no one ever really talks to Jesus. John has some strong words for people on this spot. In 1 John 2, verse 3 through 4, it says, we know now that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So what he's talking about is someone who says, yeah, I know God, but there's no fruit in their life. There's no obedience. They don't listen to God's voice, and they don't do what he says. There's no remorse. They sin, and there's no feeling of guilt as in, like, I'm not just talking about guilt like, oh, my parents are going to find out, like, then that's going to be terrible. I'm going to hate that conversation. But guilt as in, I've done something. I've sinned against God, and that's wrong. There's no transformation in their life. Guys, you need to understand, we don't earn God's favor by doing good. Doing good is a result of knowing Christ. If you're here and you're like, I've just got to do good things so I can get in God's good list, God's not Santa Claus. Like, God's not like, you know, he sees you when you're sleeping, and if you're good, you get on the good list, and if you're bad, you get on the bad list. Guys, listen, the only thing that saves you is knowing Jesus Christ. If you don't know him today, that is the only thing that will save you, and that is the only thing that will help you. You can never do good without knowing Christ. No matter what you do, it will not be good. God looks at it and says, it's filthy rags. What are you trying to do? Trying to earn your way into heaven. But if you know Christ, the only reason you do good is not because it's like, oh, I'm doing good so I can stay on Jesus' good list. The only reason we do good is because God is doing it through us. When we know Jesus, God works through us. And it's sad. It's sad because a lot of people know about God and they do a lot of things to look religious. They'll say, you know, I go to church I give money, I go on missions trips, but the honest reality is there's going to be people who've missed heaven by just about 18 inches. I'm going to read a verse that's a little bit harsh, and listen, I don't want to ever read, you guys know me, like in the time I've been your youth pastor, I've never been a fire and brimstone guy. I teach a lot about love, I teach a lot about grace. I don't want to ever use a verse like this as a scare tactic. Like, I'm going to scare you into heaven. I'm going to read this verse, and you're going to be so scared that you're going to fall on your knees. And, like, that's not what it's about. But this is something that Jesus says, and it's important for us to understand. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, this is Jesus talking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. There's going to be people who show up and say, Lord, I went to church every Sunday. Lord, I went to Bible class. I wrote a paper about you. Like, I, for credit, there's going to be people who say, Lord, I went out street witnessing with my youth group. Lord, I, I fed the homeless. I did things. And Jesus is going to say to them, you never actually knew me. Some of you guys may be there. Some of you guys may be believing God, but you don't know him. Let's go to the second one. The second one is some people know him. They believe him. They know him, but they don't actually know him well. There's no intimacy With him, I'll use an example. Um, I know, I know Hanson. Have you guys ever heard of the band Hanson? I know them. I'm going to show you a picture. I know these guys. (laughs) This was the '90s. These guys were like the One Direction of their time. I know them. (laughs) Okay, I do. Um, Now they're a little bit older now. Okay, and they like to like drink coffee and look at each other and go, "Eh?" "Hey." Yeah, they they transitioned. No, I'm just kidding. they they're they're boys for sure, okay? Now look at the older guy, his face stayed exactly the same. It's creepy. Anyway, I know these guys, okay? Now listen, here's how I know them. When I got together with my wife, <laughs> this was her favorite band growing up. My answer to them was like, who, these guys from the 90s, like who like sang one song called Imbop? She's like, no. They are really talented, they're really great, they've, they've grown, they're great musicians, and, and they're awesome, and I was like, yeah, right. When well, I started listening to them, I'm a fan now. They call them fansons. <laughs> I am a fanson, okay? I like them, they're great. They're actually one of my favorite bands. Um, they have great music, don't laugh, David. They are good, and they are deep with their lyrics, they're great poets, they're awesome guys. It's sad that they're only remembered for like their one-hit wonder days, because they've grown up into great musicians, Great guys, they're actually believers, Um, just great dudes, okay? So I know them in the sense that I know their music. I can tell you the lyrics of many of their songs. I know the tunes, I can hum them. Now, it goes even further. Because what these guys do is to support charities at their concerts, they'll do these things called walks. And they'll make you get barefoot and you'll walk with them around the city, okay? I've gone to several of these events and I've taken off my shoes and I've walked with them. Now my wife is shy. Okay? And she grew up, just these guys were her heroes. Um, So we'd be out walking, and, you know, I would kind of look at these guys and be like, I'm going to go talk to them. These are my wife's favorite band. These guys are really cool. They're believers. Like, I'm going to go talk to them. So I've actually had conversations, uh, multiple conversations, with all of these guys. I've found them at different concerts. I've walked next to them and we've talked for about five minutes about different things. Um, the, the lead singer of the band, I met him one time at a Starbucks. Like Not that I called him and like showed up and we hung out. But I saw him at a Starbucks and we talked for like two minutes. So I know them. But if You showed me, if you showed them a picture of me, they'd be like, who's that guy? (laughs) My wife actually ended up as an extra in one of their music videos. If you watch it, she's, like, in the background, like, people are, like, dancing, and and she's, like, um, if you, like, look in between two people's shoulders, you can see her face kind of, like, smiling. She's, like, nodding her head like this. (laughs) Um, But if you showed them a picture of her, they'd probably be like, who? Her? What? Like, so I know them, but not... Intimately like I know them. I've talked to them, but there's like we don't call each other and have conversations or go out to dinner Some of you guys maybe have that experience with God many of you guys Maybe you said a prayer at camp or maybe you at camp you you know got all fired up about the Lord or Maybe you've been uh, born into a Christian family and you've actually believed in God and you've prayed and you've walked with him Maybe you've been baptized and at camp, you know, you're like I really want to change this time and you get baptized and um, Maybe some of you guys that's where you're at And you know God, you've talked to him, you've had conversations, you've had moments with God, but you're not really walking with him. For you, you've got a saved soul, but you're wasting your life. You don't have to worry about going to hell, but you do have to worry about missing out on what God has for you here on earth. You know God, there's a knowing of God, but there's no growing. You know God, but you're not growing in him. There's many people who are informed about God, but they're not transformed by him. They know about him, but they're not transformed by him. Paul writes to his church in Galatians 4. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, You are slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces again? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? And honestly, this is a verse you need to pay attention to because for many of you, this is a verse I think you need to hear today. For many of you, I would say, I love you. And because I love you, I'd ask, what are you thinking right now? You know God, but you keep going back to those old sins. You keep going back to those old behaviors. You know God, but you're not turning away from those sins. You just continue to go back to them, and you continue to give yourself to those sins. And it's almost like, like, like you guys know, sin is bondage. It changes us up. You're walking to Satan and handing him the handcuffs and the key and saying, here you go, lock me up. That is what we're doing. And it's kind of like when we talked about uh, in Galatians. In Galatians, if you guys remember, when, when we first started a year ago, high school, we went through Galatians on Wednesday night, and we talked about basically this idea of stop doing dead guy stuff. You guys remember that? Maybe? I don't know. We talked about, like, imagine, um, you know, you were dead, okay? You're a zombie. Or not, a, you're just dead. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, I, when I think of dead people, I just immediately go to zombies, because that's where we're at, culturally. It's all about zombies. Walking dead. You're dead, okay? You're in the ground. You're absolutely dead. You're buried in dead man's clothes. You've got rotting flesh. And then just imagine that someone comes and brings you back to life. Like, they give you new life, they raise you out of the grave, and you're alive now. What if after that, you're like, I'm just going to keep wearing these, like, rotting dead guy clothes. In fact, I'm going to just chop away at my flesh so it looks like I'm decomposing because that's what I'm about now. I'm going to pull out my teeth so that it looks like I'm a, I'm a corpse and my teeth are falling out. It'd be crazy. You'd, you'd be like, if you saw someone doing that, you'd be like, hey, you're alive. Stop doing dead guy stuff. You're not dead anymore. You are alive. Why are you doing dead guy stuff? But that's what we continue to do. When we go back to sin, when we continue to let sin into our life, it's like a person who came back to life who just wants to keep living as a corpse. It's absolute insanity, but you and I do it, and It's wrong. We need to go to God and say, make me alive. And seriously, like, we all do this. We fall back into disrespect. We fall back into lying. Some of us steal in different ways. A few of us were talking about that the other night. We steal. It's a sin. We steal and in ways. Well, it's normal. It's cultural to steal this way. It's sin. We disrespect our parents. We lie to our parents. We sneak around authorities back, and we go around corners, and we, we do things that are sketchy. We, uh, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest parts of being a teenager, I think, is deceit. Because you want to live in your own world. You don't want anyone to know what's going on. You don't want people to tell you what you're doing is wrong. You don't want people to help you. And so we just keep things secret. I did it <laughs> for my whole high school life. I had sins, and I wouldn't tell my youth pastor. I wouldn't tell my parents. I thought I can handle this on my own, and I could not. If you're there today, st- you're living like a dead person. Come out into the light. Ask someone for help. Don't let it be an endless cycle. Don't be enslaved. Don't hand yourself over to Satan and say, handcuff me, here's the key. Go to Jesus and say, take my chains and break them. The third way, and this is where we want to be, is we, kn- we believe God, we know him, intimately, and we serve him wholeheartedly. Here's what this looks like, to know God intimately and to serve him wholeheartedly. If I, hope, I hope as I throw out these ways, I hope that for all of you, at least one of these lights up in your brain as I do that. Because if it doesn't, you need to ask yourself today, where am I with God? One is being led by the Spirit. You hear God's voice. He speaks to you, and you follow him. You walk by faith and not by sight. You don't lean on your own understanding where every decision you make is just, this is what seems right to me. But sometimes you make decisions that seem wrong to you, but to God, you know that they're right. And so you don't walk by your common sense, but you walk by faith. You let God lead you. You talk to God. You sit down and you have conversations with Him and you open up your heart and you say, God, this is where I'm at. I love you. I need your help. You have conviction. When you sin, when you make a mistake, there is conviction in your heart and you respond to that conviction instead of continuing to bury your sin under the rug. You know that God's power is strong in your weakness. And so when you feel down and when you're struggling and you're depressed, you don't just stay down, but you know in God's power, when I am weak, he is strong. You measure your success of your day, not by how did I feel, did I feel good, was this a good day for me? But you measure your success of your day when you lay down your head on your pillow at night. You measure your success of how good your day was, not by how you felt, but how did I serve God today? How did I love God today? And you are growing in intimacy with God. There's a saying that in the Christian life, it's an uphill walk. And you're kind of on wheels. So if you're not moving up, you're sliding down if we're not growing in the lord it's not just like i'm going to take a break from growing i'm going to you know i it's kind of hard to grow it's kind of hard to put all my focus on the lord so i'm just going to take a break from growing and just stay where i am cuz i like where i am camp was good i got filled up so i'm just going to keep that going but i'm not going to grow no if you stop growing you're backsliding if you stop moving forward you're always moving backwards with the lord now psalm in psalm 63 david writes this you guys know King David. He says, f- oh no, that's the wrong verse. That's from Gal- Galatians. Okay, ignore that and just listen because listening is reading with your ears. Remember that? <laughs> little thing I used to say. Um, <laughs> so Psalm 63, verse one through four. David says this, you, oh wait, here it is. Next slide. Huh, okay, let's read it. <laughs> um, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I you. Th- thirst for you my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water i have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life my lips will glorify you i will praise you as long as i live and in your name i will lift up my hands so david starts out he says, lord you're my god Like you're mine. I love you. Like I you are the one I follow. You're not just some random God. Like you are my God. And earnestly, that means with all my heart, I seek you. I thirst for you. He's talking about basically, he's like, he's looking at his world and he's like, nothing satisfies me. My life is like this dry wasteland. Maybe you're there today. I've been there seriously, even as a adult, grown-up pastor, just living my life where just it feels like, man, I'm trying to fulfill myself in all these ways, all these different kinds of entertainment, but everything, I come up dry, and I'm unfulfilled, and my soul is not happy. God is the water that we need. He is the water that fills us. Are you thirsty today? Are you here today, and you thirst for something more in your life? He talks about God's power, and his glory, and his love. He says, your love is better than life. Is that how you feel? Like God, your, your love is better than life. Or are you like, life, God's love. I really like life. I like pleasure and making myself happy and just my friends and my school and my entertainment and my academic activities and sports and hobbies and video games like in, in Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook. Like that's what I like, like that's up here. And then God's love, uh, I, when I feel down, like then I, I grab it and kind of makes me feel happy again. And then I keep going with life. No, are we saying, God, your love is better than life. That is what I live for is your love, and then everything else follows after that. This is a non-perfect person who wrote this. We can read this and be like, I can't be like that. Like, that's the super Christian way of living. Like, that's crazy. Like, God, your love is better than life? Who can even do that? This is a guy who became king, had a great time when he was the golden boy of Israel because he killed a giant and he was the leader of the army for a while and people really liked him. But then he slept with a guy's wife, killed that guy, and just continued to lie and go downhill. His, his children, like his, his son raped his daughter. His other son tried to kill him and ran him out of town. And he got to the point where he, like a homeless man, was throwing rocks at him and saying, You're the worst king ever. You're terrible. You're the worst, David. You should die. And his soldiers were like, David, should we kill this guy? And David goes, No, it's true. It's just let him talk. This is my this is who I am. This it's everything this this hobo is saying is true. I am the worst. This is written not by a guy who's perfect. This is an imperfect person who knew. God. In fact, when David was in his darkest moment, it was knowing God that brought him through. Because you guys remember, we, we went through the life of David. When David lost everything, he lost his whole identity because he had gotten to the point where being king, that was, the, that was the highest form of life for him, was being King David. In fact, there's a story where David is walking through the wilderness and he runs into this guy called Nabal. And Nabal insults him. Like, David's like, hey, Nabal, let my, uh, let my men stay at your land, and we can eat at your house. And the guy, Nabal's like, no way. Like, that's my food. Get out of here, David. Like, you think you're some king? You can come take my stuff? And David's prideful response is, I'm the king. Like, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. And he almost kills the guy if not for God stopping him through the voice of the man's wife. But that's David's whole identity was wrapped up in being king and pride and power and then David gets to the point where everything gets stripped away. He gets revealed as a sinner. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a failure. His identity as king. He's, his identity as father. His identity as everything gets stripped away from him, he has nothing. And yet David still says, I find my strength in the Lord. And in the end of everything, David's identity was in the Lord. That's the reason he was able to hold his head up high and still say, I have worth and I have value. Not because I was king, not because I was a good shepherd, not because I was a good father. I failed at all those things, but I have worth and value because I am a child of God. That's where we need to find our identity. Our identity and value and worth is in Christ. As we wrap up, I want to ask you guys, how do you talk to God? Like, what do you call him? The way you talk to somebody, the what you call them, it reveals how you know them. Like, for instance, for me, if you call me Mr. Salvato, you're a telemarketer, and I'm going to hang up on you. If you call me Pastor Aaron, you're, you know, probably someone who's new to the youth group, and you think that's cool to call me that. Uh, if you call me Aaron, you've been in my youth group for a while, you know, and you just know me as Aaron. If you call me Cardboard Snake, <laughs> you went to high school with me, and you made movies with me about secret agents, and you call me that. Um, <laughs> if you call me Ane, um, you we go back, we went to high school together. If you call me Babe, you're Brooklyn. <laughs> There's nobody else who calls me that. It'd be weird if they did. Um, with God, I mean, what do you call him? Do you call him the big guy, the man upstairs? Are you like, dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus? Is that what you pray to the Lord? Or do you talk to God and it's savior, provider, king, friend, redeemer, protector? Have you ever called God by his name? Like, Yahweh. Yahweh, you are great. Yahweh, you are powerful. We call God, God, and it'd be like walking up to you and being like, hello, human. Like, God means it's deity, okay? He has a name. Yahweh, Jesus' real name is Yeshua. Try try praying to him in his Hebrew name. It's awesome. But it's just, do we know God as something personal? Here's what Jesus calls his father. He calls him Abba. Abba, Father. That's the term that a little Jewish boy or girl would say as they ran up to their dad and they sat on his lap and they hugged him. Abba, Father, Daddy. Is that what you call God? Do you have that relationship with him? Listen. Just the last thing I'll say today is if, you, if you're here today and you feel like, man, I know of God, I believe in God, but I don't really know him, this is what you need to ask for. You need to get to know him. The first step is prayer, seeking him in his word. You need to take the time. Just like if you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you couldn't just be like, I'll see you on Sundays and Wednesdays for an hour and we'll have the best relationship ever. No, you need to put in the time to have a relationship with him. Doesn't God deserve that time? Absolutely he does. As we get to know him, this is what you need. You need to say, God make my heart break for the things that break yours. God, when I sin, make my heart break. Lord, help me to forgive quickly. Give me a generous heart where I want to give to others. Help me to care for the poor and the needy and the outcast. Lord, help me to hunger for your presence, just like I hunger for food and I get hungry throughout the day. Lord, help me when I haven't spent time with you to not just forget about it and brush it off, but I'm hungry. Like, man, I haven't read my Bible in two days. I need the Lord. I'm hungry for his presence. Lord, give me a passion to quickly share my faith lord help me to grieve over sin when i've messed up i am just heartbroken over it lord give me the fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness lord give me compassion for the lost and lord help me to seek you because the bible says if you seek him you will find him this is my prayer for you is what paul prayed for the ephesians church He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the power of his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength of God. That's what we need. that's what I pray for you guys. Let's pray right now. Lord, I pray for this awesome group of young people, that you would just help them, Lord, to know you. God, if there's anyone here who is just simply heartbroken after hearing this study because they realize they know you, kind of like I know that band. They've had a few brief conversations with you, and they know a lot about you because they've paid attention in Sunday school, but there's no real intimate relationship God, I pray that right now, if they want that relationship, that they would ask you for it. Father, we thank you that it's not about being perfect. It's about following the one who is perfect. Thank you, God, that if we live a life of prayer, you are present everywhere in our life. And, Lord, you're present no matter what, but we don't open our eyes to it unless we pray. Help us to be a people of prayer. Help us, Lord, not to say, oh, when I'm a senior, I'll do that. Because if that's your heart now, you won't. God, help us to be a people that right now, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, adult, whatever we are, that we would be people who pray and seek you and not just coast through the Christian life, but have a real, genuine, romantic, deep friendship with you. Help us, Lord, to grow every day in you, in your name, amen.